0: <laughs> Welcome to Midnight Conversations. My name is Stephen Banos. And I'm Anandine Ambikaraja. What are you sipping on there, Anandine?
1: I'm uh, sipping on an Earl Grey tea, Oh!
0: Yeah, me oh, too. It, oh, early this is the Earl Grey tea. First time we've
1: ever matched teas. Well, that's crazy. That's mostly because your beverages are alcoholic. <laughs> so Usually, <that's>, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, There's some whiskey uh, in
0: this, but it's been a hard oh, yeah, day, it, so don't judge me. <laughs> I
1: don't. Uh, your tea doesn't look. Uh, it looks very wa- on the more watery side of Earl Grey teas than uh, than mine. Mine's a bit more richer mm. and creamier. Yours is. Uh, yeah, a bit bit pale there. I'd say like dirty water. I don't want to turn you off your tea, but it just doesn't look great. I
0: made honest. it in a rush. I've still got the tea bag in there as well, which makes it even dirtier. Oh, jeez, anyway. that's alright. That's alright.
1: Anyway. If it, it tastes good to you, that's all that matters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and we're not. Look, we're not here to talk about tea. Mm-hmm. As much as I would enjoy that conversation, maybe when some other time. What are we here to talk about? Uh, we're Steven? we're here to talk about reality. Oh, I guess. Wow. Maybe you've yeah. gone too deep with that.
1: A little bit too. It just put, <laughs> dial it back a bit, uh, I guess. Um, it, I mean, to some extent, we're talking about is the reality that we see in research uh correct or accurately representing what the research should be representing. And what I mean by that is the title of this paper is Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. Uh, It's a really famous paper uh, that's done by, I'm going to butcher his name, but I think it's John Ioannidis. uh, And he he wrote this essay, essentially, uh, arguing that there is a crisis in current scientific research, given that uh a lot of studies that are done in science uh aren't either aren't replicated uh correctly, so when they are replicated, they're they're not replicated correctly, or they just aren't attempted to be replicated. Because within science there's sort of an incentive to uh you know, publish new findings. And it, it's not like anyone directly ever says this to you like whenever I publish a paper it's not like someone has said to me oh you know has this been published before or you know is this brand new but I guess there's sort of this unspoken rule that if you are replicating another study and you state that this is a replication study it's viewed to be as less valuable than some study that is brand new uncovering some new piece of knowledge Mm. does that make sense Stephen yeah that that makes uh, good sense Yeah. So um, the value of replicating studies is, I guess, I mean, now it's sort of going the other way where people have realized that there are all these studies that haven't been replicated, that when they have been replicated, the results haven't stood the test of time, or they haven't uh, had the same effect or same outcome. And so this paper talks into the nitty-gritty details as to why this is the case and what needs to be changed. But um, I guess before we get into some of that, Stephen, I guess, were you aware of this replication crisis and, and the the fact that um, some findings weren't able to be replicated over time? What was your understanding? Um,
0: no, I, I wasn't aware. I think it's interesting Um If there's a study showing a positive correlation between two things, Mm. I would have thought there's just as much incentive to try to, like, prove that 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 correlation was not correct, just as much as there is to replicate it. Is that?
1: Yeah, Mm. I mean, so say when just when we're talking about correlations, to give some Mm. background knowledge, uh, correlation is a fancy word for relationship between two or more variables. So if we look at the uh, relationship between how uh, how much I bounce on my ball and how loud my voice gets, uh, there may be a correlation with the more that I bounce in the ball the louder my my voice gets. Right? <laughs> so when we can talk about correlations in any respects, but in science, you know, we look at relationships between a whole number of different variables. I mean for for me I'm I'm looking on my recent paper looked at uh, the relationship between fat mass and brain volume and whether fat mass increased decrease or stay the same what that association was with brain volume in in, in simple terms so uh, that's that's what we're looking at and and to your question Stephen when we talk mm-hmm. about whether there's value in replicating it or we want to I guess say prove uh, the outcome or not uh, there the hesitancy is because some people, See, the only thing that's partly interesting is if you were to replicate a finding and you find the same results, the reviewer or panel will say, well, of course, that's the same result that we saw previously. It's it's sort of like, you know, you ask a child to do some sort of arithmetic, like two plus two, right? Maybe the first time that they get it is interesting to them, but mm. it may not be interesting to you or I or the rest of humanity because it's a well-established fact that two plus two equals four. and you can increase the complexity of this to be uh, harder and harder math uh, problems or any problem, and then uh, it becomes more and more interesting when less and less people have solved it. So I guess that's sort of the best analogy I can think of as to why there's the same sort of parallels between science and the public.
0: Mm. Okay. I mean, if you, if you published that paper about the volume of your voice and the bouncing of the ball, yeah. and then I went out and like did a study that proved the opposite you're saying yeah. you know my 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 voice wouldn't be as loud or as, as valued in that sense just because it's not you know well
1: yeah i mean so sometimes it it uh, it can be i mean but i guess it's if you find the same findings as mine it's you're less likely to find a, a journal that will publish exactly the same paper that's done been done previously just so because
0: the- like there's more doubt as to the accuracy of my findings just like,
1: just mm. just because i guess it, it's been done before to some extent so yeah, that that yeah. Uh, lessens the uh, value of it in terms of new knowledge that's mm. being presented even though it, it it is it is valuable and it can be done in different populations different ages you know just because i do it and most studies are not on well you can say quite confidently that all studies don't incorporate all every single member of the population so yeah. you can't say that um, my study is uh, applicable to you know all people who are young or super old or on on different spectrums of, of different uh, have you know different conditions all these sort of things uh, the study isn't generalizable for so there's mm-hmm. you know areas in which you can replicate but just often it's not and so what this what this study in particular or this essay I guess um, goes into more detail in discussing is a few things that result in so I guess the replication crisis is one easy way of explaining why um, a contributing factor to why some findings go unchallenged and are false. Um, but other things that uh, influence this is uh, something called power. So the, pro- the the study says the probability that a research claim is true may depend on study power and bias. Uh, the number of other studies on the same question, and importantly, the ratio of true to no uh, relationships among the uh, those that are found in the scientific field. So what power is, is your ability to detect an effect, right? So... Um, if it's it's a complicated concept, but uh, at the essence of it, it's do, will you be able to detect an effect or not detect an effect? So say we have uh, a jelly bean that's black in a sea of a thousand jelly beans that are not black, say multicolored. And um, if you were to pick up one jelly bean, uh, the chance of it being black is very, very limited. Right. So I guess when we talk about the say, the black jelly bean is the effect we want to find. It, when we talk about power in this situ- situation, uh, the uh, there's a very limited scope of power to be able to detect an effect in this in this sort of area. However, if 50% of the jelly beans in this pool was black, then you're more likely to find the effect. And And so this analogy transfers over to, say, we want to be able to detect an effect of, I guess, back to my example of fat mass on the brain. Well, we need to know, by how much does fat mass change? So if fat mass changes by one gram, it's harder to detect an effect between those two things than if it was to change by a kilogram. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so all these factors come into play when we talk about uh, power. So
0: Right. So, yeah. pi- so researchers are less inclined to you know, conduct studies where there is a lesser power to...
1: Well, effect, so, sometimes, yeah, you're you're on the right track, I guess. Sometimes researchers have no choice. What things that can influence power is are things like um, sample size. So, mm. um, the larger your sample, the better you have to the better ability you have to detect an effect the better power you have in your study um uh, but feasibly not everyone has the income to be able to collect data on thousands of people sometimes it's 10 20 30 um people uh, particularly depending on the population so um this can limit power which means that sometimes you find an effect just because of the sample size but if you were to increase your sample size that effect may may not be there so that's a that's one thing. And, and the first point that this article notes is the smaller studies conducted in the scientific field, less likely the research findings are to be true. So mm. if they okay. are based on a smaller sample, and which is a, a thing that the listener should always be thinking of, especially if they read any paper or any news article, if it's based on, you know, a pilot study of 10 people, um, it's, it's less likely that those findings are generalizable to them personally than, than yeah, something on a much larger, larger scale.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. very, very interesting. Mm. All right. So, what, what, what are the other things then that that affect um, the likelihood of a paper being false? Yeah. Um.
1: I mean, the other factors that they p- talked about in this study were uh, the greater the number and the lesser the selection of tested relationships in the scientific field, the less likely the research findings are to be true. So, um, the a uh, chance at which. The relationship is being investigated. If if they're not being investigated uh, a lot, then they won't be. You know, the, you're less likely to find it to be true. So, for example, if uh, you and I, Stephen, were to do a experiment or a study, and um, I did it on one topic, and you did it on a topic uh, that wasn't as the same as mine, right? And um, it's likely that we both find an effect, right? Mm-hmm. However. The chance that if you and i both did two studies which were the same and uh, we went back and forth there's a chance that our our overall outcome could be different and it could be for a number of reasons could be the way you did your study the way i did my study and um, maybe uh, you analyzed things a bit differently or the way you held or measured something was slightly different so all these inaccuracies and um, can contribute to differences in results so no two people doing the exact same study will always get the same answer, although mm-hmm. that's sort of the goal of science. And that's why we're so rigorous in our methods to try and make sure that it can be replicated,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: And, and but another an issue that I found when I started my Ph.D. was I was like, OK, so I know that method, methodology is really, really important to make sure that uh, paper is um, re- able to be replicated. So I, I did a systematic review for the first my first study, and I put a lot of detail in the methods. Submitted that to a journal, and the journal said, "Well, you know, there's a bit too much information here. I think you need to cut down your word length. So can you remove stuff?" And as a result, parts of those methods um, go into what we call the supplementary materials, and things like this. And even if there if there's not a chance for supplementary materials, they may not be in the manuscript at all. It's just assume that. People know you're doing the right thing, even though you haven't explicitly stated it. So mm. things like this can can cause a big issue in science, and something I think and, about a lot. Yeah. Whenever we see, whenever we see studies, like how, how can we believe that this, what the study's finding is, is what it says it is? You know, it's it's very yep. select. So yep. I mean, what, what do you think when you read when you read papers? How do you, I guess, judge the quality of it from someone who? Um, is, you know, reads a lot of scientific articles in Mm. in the news. Uh, Do you you just, do you take a blanket skepticism or are you more likely to believe it? What sticks out to you in terms of your belief?
0: That's a a very good question. That's Mm. a very good question. I honestly, I think most of the time I judge the quality of a paper based on my preconceptions of what I thought the results would (laughs) be, which is not good, but I I, I have to be honest with myself. I think mm, that's mm. honestly how I... If However, it makes sense, if you're like, that that finding makes sense, Yeah, you're more likely to, yeah. yeah, e- yeah. E- exactly. Obviously, if like there are clear limitations to the paper that really stand out, I'll be like, oh, mm. that's all, that's stupid. But yeah, yeah other, otherwise I'm not really thinking too much about it.
1: So I, I'll, mm. I'll give you an interesting example of the, based off of that, that I heard recently was about testicular cancer and mm. uh, they found that trauma to the testicles, so say you get Kicked uh, really hard in in the testicles, and um, is linked with higher rates of testicular cancer. Um, does that finding make wow.
0: intuitive sense to you? I think so. Yeah. Mm. Does so that make look, intuitive sense to you? I, I mean, it did. <laughs>
1: I I couldn't I I didn't couldn't really get why it was linked with cancer. So cancer is you know when cells divide uncontrollably. I wasn't sure why is it that. Trauma specifically within uh, testicles is related to this, opposed to, say, if I was to punch you really hard in the arm, why does mm. that not cause cancer? Anyway, so what they found in this study was that um, it's not entirely proven yet in terms of whether this is the case. It could be that there's some relationship, but more likely they say that it's, to, it's due to the fact that those who get hit really hard in the testicles have to go see a doctor, and then uh, the doctor is more likely to find that any testicular cancer that's there than people who don't get uh, hit in the testicles and then don't see doctors. So people who just get right. hit in the testicles are more likely to see doctors and have their mm. um, testicles examined than people who don't. So um, that is
0: that's Very interesting why the association is there. So I, I, well, mm. I just
1: think it's interesting in the sense of, intuitively it makes sense but the reason behind it is something far more complex and this is just one example which i think applies to all science there's i've i've often found whether it's a reflection of my intuition or not uh, that intuition is wrong more than it's correct Hmm. and so that's why the tool of science was developed so that you could try and remove this intuition and bias and i find that some harm in science comes when people just set out to try and prove their intuition correct and it can yes. lead to dangerous things. And sometimes it's more interesting to let the cards play as they are and then see, try and understand well, why is it that way? And so mm.
0: well I mean what this paper says is that it's really dangerous in areas where we don't have intuition and people are kind of just putting all of their faith in science. Mm. And, and I feel like I'm arming climate deniers right now. <laughs> because I mean, climate change is one of those things where we don't really have great intuition. We know, like, from history, that your climate changes, um, but you know, none of us have lived long enough to really experience that. Mm. Um, and I so, think yeah.
1: interestingly, with climate change, funnily enough, whilst the studies uh, that there's been new enough studies that have been done in related fields that allow us to understand that that you know across the board, we do see that, you know, the world or globe is, is warming uh, over time. And so mm. I think what's interesting, it's an interesting example, because when we compare that with a lot of health research, sometimes, you know, in climate change research, it's because there's such fierce debate that replication is sort of encouraged and mm. every every new finding adds support. But I guess within some areas of health research uh, a finding is just as is and isn't valued as much. So I guess there are certain fields where replication is required. But I, just on the point of climate change research, it's just um, quite a quite strongly across the board with among scientists is the fact that there is global warming. And that it's it's yeah, yes. happening. it's yeah. just that I think when we talk about stuff like that, it's more it's not so much the science that has an issue as, as this article is talking about, but more the communication of that science to the public. And uh, Correct. I think it's the public intuition saying, well, that doesn't make sense. The world is so big. Like, how is it just, you know? And But in reality, the the, the interpretation of the data that is there shows a very different mm. story. So Yeah.
0: And we're, actually, we're seeing similar things with coronavirus now as, as well, which is concerning. But it is. It's like yeah. it's a politi- politicization of the issues more than people like looking at the studies and being mm-hmm. like, well... I disagree because of these 10 reasons. I I don't don't know if it's that well thought out, is my point.
1: No, Uh, no. Yeah, and and you're right. And I think with uh, COVID, the issue is a lot of these issues that this study's raising are relevant to COVID in the sense of um, I think the scientific rigour is slightly lost on studies that have been published because there's been a push to publish studies quickly. And so when you have that, maybe... Sample sizes don't need to be as large. Maybe, you know, the data isn't available. And I think there's been many findings which came out and then were found not so much to be true and were either retracted or there was big outrage in the scientific community and back back and forth because Mm -hmm. science by nature is a slow process generally and because it takes time to collect data and, and analyze it and to have confidence in it. But I think the... It, it's fine to publish science quickly, but the issue was that it was was published quickly and then straight away relayed to the public as to what the findings were, and then this sort of disconnect is what can cause a lot of issues. So yes, um,
0: and yeah, there, there, there's also with stuff like COVID and with climate change. I feel like there is an incentive for researchers to publish stuff that promotes action towards saving lives or more like the converse like you don't want to you don't want to publish a paper that supports inaction where that inaction could cause death because there is like some kind of i don't know moral or ethical Mm. obligation whether it's underlying or or overt i think yeah
1: i think there's there's certain
0: topics that are i guess people are more
1: hesitant to investigate because Mm. the the ramifications of what that topic means is is yeah is big so yeah there's many topics out there you can think of any but there, any that are controversial uh often find it it's difficult to and and they can be as simple as you know gender differences a lot of people don't like um you know the the research in gender differences is an interesting point because uh there are, well, I should say sex differences. So uh, when we look at this sort of scientific research, there are sex differences that we find in the brain, you know, and, and uh, but communicating that to the public isn't always uh, uh, as an easy process because the media loves to carry away with what this is, or what that is like, for example, uh, a well-documented sex difference is that men have larger brains than women. And um, mm. so you know this is this is well well known and well documented but the they found that this size and brain is most likely correlated with body size so men on average are larger than women so that as a result everything is proportional so your head is bigger and then your brain is is bigger as a result but when we look at measures of intelligence there's no difference between men and women so yeah.
0: it's um yeah, the these things are, are, are difficult to communicate. It, so literally yeah. everyone listening to the podcast just tightened when you were like men's brains are bigger. They're like, Oh no, where's well, well, he going with this?
1: It's, <laughs> structurally it's the way and, and you yeah. know, to to explain it even a step further, we account for this in our in our studies. So we actually mm. do something called adjusting and we adjust for head size. So when we look at the brain of two people, I don't wanna say that this effect is bigger in men than women. So what I do is I adjust for the size of the of the head in the analysis so that I can have a fair comparison between men and women so i mean and all of these things are very very difficult to communicate because they're not always explained well uh to the public and it can cause a lot of issues
0: so. oh so like what you're saying is that men are smarter than women i'm gonna make that my yeah. facebook status yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. yeah. yeah and, and that, that's what can happen yeah. i see the problem <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> not only do you see it you are the problem.
0: <laughs> but yeah say
1: that what, what's what's your takeaway steven from from this uh fairly you know, technical paper, but broadly speaking to the issues that we have in science and replicating results. Do you, what do you, what does it make you think about science? Is mm. it, do you think it's well, a climate mean, system?
0: I, I, I guess this might have to just be our, our last podcast episode ever mm. because every, every study we discuss afterwards is, is nullified by this essay. <laughs> <hey>? <laughs> well,
1: I, I think what we, do, which is good in our podcast, is we look at systematic reviews and meta-analyses, which can sort of account for a lot of the uh, points that are raised here as issues, is the fact that we look at one effect across many different studies and sort of find the average to see, is there a positive or negative effect? And that can yeah. help with a lot of the issues that are raised in this. So that's why uh, I find systematic reviews to be so good. So, mm. um, yeah, no, d- don't hold out. Uh, hope, yeah. it's, <laughs> uh there's still positivity, uh, in the future. So it's all good. How
0: does, how does this essay affect your life?
1: It, um, it's a big question because mm. it, uh, I mean, the, Technically, it affects it in in a number of ways, because it makes me reconsider a lot of the nitty gritty details when I'm reading papers or analyzing studies. You want to always have a healthy level of skepticism when it comes to science. But we realize that um, a lot of these issues that are raised in this paper aren't issues that can't be solved. So what I mean by that double negative is they can all be addressed through appropriate statistical design. I think just sometimes the incentives in science drive us to publish uh, findings and move on before adequately like dissecting a finding, having it replicated across different populations and then moving on from there and having it in large sample sizes when it's possible to investigate these effects. So um, yeah, I, I think that the outcome is it's a positive one. It's a good reminder. It's sort of like, to me, this is the equivalent of say a parent telling their child to, Oh, make sure you, you know, look both ways before you cross the street. Like it's just, it's just a good, good reminder to do so in science. So that, yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. that's that's
1: my takeaway. So,
0: well, if you've listened to this and, uh, you want to tell us which papers you think are false, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Email us at midnightconversationspodcast at gmail.com. Also, send us any papers you you'd, uh, would like us to discuss. Where else yeah. can they find us? Uh, they can find us on Twitter, uh, TikTok, uh,
1: Facebook, a number of other platforms. But uh, yes. just look the back of Stephen's thing, uh, don't, don't just let us know that the uh, findings are false. Tell us uh, why you think they're false. If it's just because you feel like they are, then... Uh, it's more likely uh, your email address will find its way into the spam folder over our, yeah. <laughs> over our mailbox. But generally, uh, I think a good discussion is always one based in reason. So, um, yeah.
0: Oh, also, yeah. if you were also drinking an Earl Grey tea at the beginning of this podcast, let us know. That's just oh, a cool yeah. coincidence. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way. Um, and it's saying that, uh, Stephen, I think we'll. I'll see you next week. See you next week, man. Have a good one. <laughs> see ya. See ya.